Um, we often read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which is where the Apostle Paul gives instruction in what communion is to look like. But a number of months ago, the Lord spoke to me, and I feel like we have skipped over the chapter that sets up that entire, uh, that entire communion table. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, are you there? Okay, Brother Jonathan's there. I'll give you just one more second. 1 Corinthians 10, we're going to read 16 and 17. I'm coming out of the New King James Version tonight. And this is what it says. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? Everybody say communion. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion? Everyone say communion. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. I'm going to break down that verse here tonight, but let's pray for God's wisdom and revelation to be released over us this evening. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come. And even as the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 1, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be released right now. That, Lord, I believe that there are truths in the receiving of the Lord's Supper that maybe we've neglected or overlooked. But I ask that tonight you would give us the grace to receive it and to walk in it, O oh Lord. That we would not just overlook, we don't want to diminish anything that you have committed to us. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint us to receive what your Spirit is speaking tonight. Let tremendous revelation come into our hearts and all that you have purchased and made available through your precious blood and your broken body. May we receive of all of it, Lord. We bless it. We ask you to help us in this time in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Last week, I began to, to break down a, a few of these ideas, and we, we walked through what what. You know, what Jesus spoke of at the Last Supper. We talked about what the Apostle Paul brought. And um, really, the core of what I'm bringing out tonight is this simple idea that I believe communion is more than just an act of remembrance. It is that. And Jesus said, and the Apostle Paul affirmed, do this in remembrance of me. So there is this moment where we reflect and we say, yes, Jesus, I acknowledge you have done so much. You shed your blood for me. You were whipped. You were beaten. You were broken. I am so thankful. Is anybody thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus? And so we remember. We remember his sacrifice. However, as I saw, and we read the verse here again, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, it says that we are to share in, we are to commune with the blood and the body of Christ. As we bless, with the blessing we bless, is it not uh, the communion of the body of Christ? Now that is the Greek word. I'm, I'm just reviewing quickly. I went over this more slowly last week, but I want you to understand where this is all coming from. 
That word, is it not communion with the body? Is it not communion with the blood? That word communion is the Greek word koinonia. Everyone say koinonia. koinonia. That means union. Everyone say union. That's what we were dealing with last week. The idea that through the receiving of communion, we actually have union with Jesus Christ and what he's made available to us. And so we talked about the benefits of the blood, how there is forgiveness and there is healing and there is justification and sanctification and redemption. We covered all of that last week. We talked about the blessings of the broken body of Jesus Christ, how God's provision is is expressed. That's financial provision. God wants to supply. He give us this day our daily bread. In Exodus 12, we see that um, that there was a deliverance that was mentioned that we were to honor God in the breaking of bread as God delivered Israel from captivity. And so we see that deliverance is acknowledged in the breaking of bread. And then we also see the living bread. Jesus is the living bread. There's an actual communion and fellowship with Jesus as we partake of the bread. It's very powerful. So even tonight as we receive of the Lord's Supper, if you say, I need healing, or I need to be sanctified, or I need deliverance, or I need God's provision, as we approach the table of the Lord, do so in faith, saying, God, I believe that you purchased this and you made it available, and so I receive it tonight. Now, kind of moving into new territory, this is, this is very powerful. This idea, and we read it in verse 17, though we are many, we are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one Bread. You say, what in the world is that talking about? I actually almost had us come together with one loaf of bread. Um, but I, I figured, you know, we'd all get monkey pox if we tried to do that. So I, I, I decided against it. And I'm going to give you the reason why. No, you're not getting monkey pox, by the way. Um, for real, that thing is an STD. And I know they're, they're trying to spin that other ways, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, but it is. It is. So don't sleep around. You won't get monkeypox, even if we share bread together. But the picture is this. Um, the fact that there is one bread, and it's a picture of how we are one body. So this is what's fascinating about this. So I, I told you that koinonia... Communion means union, right? It means union with Christ and what he has accomplished. But there's a second application of koinonia. In fact, the root word of communion, I've told you this before, Bible quiz, who knows what the root word of communion is? Common. Daniel's got it. Common. Yeah, I have said it. It's common. It's not to commune and have fellowship and interact. The root word is actually common. And it's, it's not that it's like of little value or not important, but what it is, it's something that we all have in common. Everybody say common. So this is very powerful. And I'm going to show you, uh, there's, there was particular practices in the Old Testament. If you understand 
the sacrifices that in the old covenant they went through. I'll tell you, as a, as a pastor, I'm very thankful that you don't bring to me goats and bulls and sheep and birds for me to have to kill and slaughter in order for you to receive particular benefits, right? Uh, pastor, I need God's favor. Would you wring the neck of this bird? Okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, pastor, I need forgiveness. Would you slaughter this bull and I'm sprinkling you and I'm sprinkling the altar with blood? That's literally what these guys would do. Now, I'm very thankful that through the blood of Jesus, through the body of Jesus, we don't have to do that. Is anybody thankful that you don't have to come to church with animals in hand? Well, there were four types of offerings that were given in the Old Testament. I'm going to go through these quickly, and we're going to spend time on one. The first type of offering that you see, you'll see this in Numbers 16 as well as Deuteronomy 12, is what we call burnt offerings. Everyone say burnt offerings. Burnt offerings was what you would bring simply to come into the temple of the Lord. This wasn't... I need forgiveness. I need God's blessing. This was simply an act of worship that you would bring to the Lord. Burnt offerings. It was an act of worship. And it was an expression, I am totally and completely surrendered to you, Lord. I give you everything. So they would bring an animal. And, and there were really only, it was either bulls, goats, rams, sheep, or at times different types of birds. Uh, those were the only sacrifices that were brought. And so depending on what your financial status is, if you are a poor individual, you might bring a pigeon. If you are a wealthy individual, you might bring a whole bull uh, in order to you know, show you know, your devotion to the Lord. You would come, you would slaughter the animal, and they would burn the animal. That's why they call it a burnt offering. There was nothing left over. It was completely burned. Nothing was eaten. Everything was consumed. And this, as I mentioned, was an act of worship. Burnt offering is worship. You're going to see there's parallels actually all throughout the Old and the New Testament. And so 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. He was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you understand, in the Old Testament, they would come and they would burn an animal and it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In the New Testament, now, Jesus himself, once for all, was the sacrifice that was the pleasing aroma to the Lord. And as he works in our life, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that as you live a life surrendered to God, your life is a sweet aroma, a pleasing aroma to God. Kind of brings new light to the Romans text that says that we are living sacrifices unto God. That's our act of worship. Our lives are surrendered in worship. So burnt sacrifice is worship. The second type of offering, there's four. The second type of offering is what we call a grain offering. Everyone say grain offering. These were, 
You understand most people would raise their own crops. And so this was like bringing their provision. It was bringing their income. They would take 10% or a tithe of their crop, their own food, and they would bring it into the house of God. And it would provide for the needs of the house. It would provide for the ministers, the Levites who are serving in the house of God. And I think this is pretty obvious. The parallel that we see in New Testament is we bring our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. And it supplies need for the house of God. It supplies need for the ministers of the Lord. To that I say thank you. Praise God. You know, I, I actually did a DNA test, and I've got about like 2% Jewish blood linked to the Levites. And so I've actually had people say, well, only the Levites are supposed to receive the offering. That's fine. Bring your offering. I will receive it. You say, what? what's the 2%? I don't know. Probably my nose. Anyway. So... That's the second type of offering. So we have, first of all, burnt offerings. That's our worship. We have grain offerings, which is our, our tithes and, and offerings that we bring to the Lord. The third type of offering is the guilt and sin offering. Everyone say sin offering. You can read about that in Leviticus 4. In Leviticus 5, this is very, I mean, this is fascinating. I, people tell me they get bored reading Leviticus. This is actually very fascinating to me. There are two types of offerings that would be brought. So this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't just an act of worship. This is like you knew that you blew it with God. I know that I've done something that grieves his heart, and I need to get right with God. You would bring an animal to sacrifice. And so what would happen is several times a year you would come knowing that you had sinned, and you would give, and you would, you would actually kneel, you would profess your sin as the sacrifice was being made. Hebrews, even in the New Testament, acknowledges that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. This is why Jesus had to shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin, or to forgive our sins. So, but there was also another category of sin offerings that were given, which were unknown sins, you ever done something and then somewhere down the road you realize, oh, I shouldn't have been doing that. I didn't even know it. Anybody ever have a moment like that? Like, I didn't know that was a sin. Well, now you know. And so there were actually provisions that were made for unknown sins. So you'd come, you'd confess the sins that you knew about, but you would also bring an offering for the sins you did not know about. And so what would happen is before you went into the temple, they would actually shed the blood they would drain the blood. They would, depending on the type of sin, they would typically sprinkle the individual or possibly touch a, a part of their body, their ear, their, their, their hand with, with a, just a bit of the blood. They would pour it out at the altar and they would touch the horns of the altar. Now there's, there's significance in all of this. I'm not going to go into all of that. But it was what allowed you to be clean to come into the presence of God. So you would atone for your sin. Now you can come into the presence of the Lord. And what they would do is they would take the fat from the animal and they would burn it as an offering, as an act of worship to the Lord. Then they would take the rest of the animal outside of the camp where they would burn it outside of the camp. Now, 
Once a year, the priest would sacrifice a bull on behalf of his own sin, and then he would take two goats into the presence of God. He would sacrifice one going into the most holy place once a year. This is on Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement. This is where he would pray on behalf of all of the children of Israel. We're actually about to come up on that, that season just at the end of this next month. Um, and so they would offer one sacrifice to atone for all of the sins of the children of Israel. And then they would take a second goat and they would impute or they would impart all of the sin. So they would kill one animal, shed its blood for the forgiveness of sin. Then they would impute the sin to the second goat and they would release it into the wilderness. Bible quiz. Does anybody know what they would call the goat that they would impute the sin to? Yeah, the kitchen's got it tonight, man. The scapegoat. Did you know that's a Bible term? Scapegoat is where you, we're putting all the blame on this guy and we're sending him out. That's exactly what they did. It comes out of, it comes out of Scripture, so they would banish him. Now, the picture in the New Testament is, is very obvious. The shedding of blood for our forgiveness, sin being removed. Uh, of course, we understand that the idea of being cast into outer darkness, it's a picture of hell. The guilty will be judged. But Jesus, now this is, this is wild, man. They would impute sin into the scapegoat. And he was taken outside. He was banished outside of the camp. Think about what they did to Jesus. Sinless Lamb of God. Yet he stood receiving false accusations, receiving guilt upon himself, and then he was taken outside of the camp, outside of the city where he was killed. In fact, Isaiah 53 says that he has borne our grief. He carried our sorrow. Your sin, your guilt, your punishment placed upon Jesus, led outside the camp, and ultimately killed. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So, of course, every time we receive the Lord's Supper, we ought to remember what Jesus did to forgive us of our sin, what he did to redeem us and bring us back to himself. But here's the, here's the fourth one, and this is where it's very relevant to us tonight. Now, this is so cool. In Leviticus chapter 7, you'll read about another offering called a peace offering. Everyone say peace offering. I want you to trek with me on this because I believe that this is actually a key to miracles breaking out in our church. Okay, and I'll get there in a second. The beginning of a peace offering, it looks the same as the sin offering, okay? You come with, let's say, a bull. You sacrifice the animal. The fat is burned, but instead of taking the rest of the animal outside of the camp and burning it, what they would actually do is the animal would be prepared. They would prepare cakes and loaves, and they would actually eat together 
in the presence of the sacrifice. They would eat of the sacrifice, and there were you can read it in Leviticus 7. There were particular areas that you could and could not eat. There's a whole process. But this was a picture that there is now peace with God, and there is peace with others. This is not a sin offering. This isn't even a thanksgiving offering. This is simply an acknowledging, Lord, I want to be at peace with you, but I also want to be at peace with one another. So the sacrifice would be a picture of peace with God. But they would take bread and they would pass the bread. In fact, now this is, this is crazy. This is why I had one basket tonight. They would actually call it the passing of peace. So what would happen is we would sit together with brothers and sisters and we would take the same loaf, we would take the same meat, if, uh, if that's what the sacrifice was, and we would pass it one to another and it was a sign that we are sharing together, we are eating together, and this is an expression that we are one family and we are at peace with one another. That's why they call it a peace offering. And so you understand, it's a picture of not only peace with God, but it's also peace with other man. And how many know we need peace with God? I, a lot of people, I, I, I mean, I, I spent years in rebellion, and I used to think every time I'd get in trouble, boy, the devil's just after me. Like, I'm living in sin. I get hung up. I get arrested. I get whatever. And I thought, oh, that's the devil. I've completely flipped my theology on that today. The devil was my buddy back in those days. He was leading me, even as Jesus said, those who are surrendered to sin, your father's the devil. You have a father, you're surrendered to someone, it's the devil. He was fighting for me. Every time I was stubbing my toe, I was stubbing my toe, as Peter would say, on the rock of offense. Anybody know who the rock of offense is? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. That's right. Jesus is the rock of offense. I'm still waiting for a t-shirt that says, like, Lion of the tribe of Judah, Alpha and Omega, rock of offense. Praise God. It's one of the names of God. He is the rock of offense. He is the stone of stumbling. And so what I began to notice even in my own life is I would trip up over things in the world. And I began to realize this isn't the devil resisting me. This is God resisting me. The Bible says in Romans 8, 7 that to have a carnal or a worldly mind is enmity with God. Everyone say enmity. Do you know what enmity is? It's hostility. It's warfare. It is, it is it's the opposite of peace. It's living in a continual state of oppression. Ephesians 2.11 talks about how, uh, in fact, why don't we turn there? Ephesians 2.11, this is so powerful. We were once at enmity with God, but we don't have to stay there. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11 And this is what it says. Remember you once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. At that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope 
without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let me break this down for you. Just, just stay right there in your, we're going to read two more verses. He's talking about a debate that's going on between Jews, those who are accepted into this whole worship system, and he's talking about Gentiles who are not allowed to come into this type of worship. But the Apostle Paul is making the case that through Jesus, we're no longer two independent people, but we are one in him. Because he has shed his blood, is just what he said, you who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Now watch this. When you're outside of Christ, you're at enmity with God. James 4 says says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's not that God's just like, boy, I really wish you'd surrender your life. No, if you are living in sin and rebellion to God, God is actively pushing back against your life. Every time you feel the Holy Ghost come and slap you, convict you, every time you trip up, you get busted when you thought you were getting away with it, that's not the devil being mean to you. That is God pleading for your soul. He gives grace to the humble. Now watch what it says here. We were at enmity with God. Anyone outside of Christ is at enmity with God. But look at verse 14. He, Jesus himself, is our peace. He made us both one. Again, talking about those inside and outside of Judaism, essentially. And he has broken down the middle wall of separation. He abolished in his flesh the enmity everybody say in his flesh this is the bread in his flesh he abolished enmity he rid us of enmity between us with one another and us and God are you guys trekking with me? Okay. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law and the commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile them both to God and into one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, In the Old Testament, peace offering. It was peace with God, and it was the passing of peace to our brothers and sisters in the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus himself tore down walls of separation between us and our fellow brothers so we can be now one body, but he threw his Flesh, the Bible says, through his flesh he abolished enmity even with God. So you understand that what we recognize in the receiving of communion, I know I'm going deep, but I I hope you guys are trekking with me on this. What we receive in the Lord's Supper through the broken body of Jesus, peace with God. Through the shed blood of Jesus, the receiving of the cup, It is peace. It is unity with one another. This is why, guys, this is huge. You understand, we have been made one with God and one with one another. That means 
It doesn't matter if you can afford a bull or if you can only afford some grain or a bird. Doesn't matter what your economic status is. Doesn't matter if you are Jewish or not. All of us, through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, now have access to have peace with God and peace with one another. Now, as I, as I draw this to a close, and we're going to receive this together, I told you, I believe that this message here is essentially the key to the supernatural. I believe this, this message is the key to miracles breaking out. And the reason I say that is I've, I've, I've taught you before, one of my favorite Greek words in the Bible is the Greek word homothumadon. Everyone say homothumadon. Homothumadon. That means same fire. It means same desire. And the reason that word is important is because every time in the book of Acts you see the outbreak of miracles, you will always see that word homothumadon immediately before or immediately after the working of miracles. The way it's translated in most of our Bibles is one accord. One accord. In Acts chapter 2, they were together in one accord, homothumadon. And suddenly, there was a, mush, uh, a rushing mighty wind, cloven tongues of fire. They were filled with the Spirit. They spoke with other tongues. In Acts 1.14, they had continued in one accord, homothumadon. And this was a moment an apostle was anointed to fill Judas' spot. In Acts chapter 4, in verse 24, they raised their voice in one accord, homothumadon. And when they prayed, the place that they were assembled was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 5 verse 12, through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were with one accord, homothumadon, on Solomon's porch. Acts chapter 8 and verse 6, the multitudes were with one accord, heeding the things spoken by Philip. They, sir, they heard and they saw the miracles he did. Unclean spirits came out. Many who were possessed, many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. Every time, I could keep going. There's a number more verses. Every time you see miracles, signs, and wonders, the people were homothumadon. The people were in Unity. Church, I believe this is the very message that communion speaks to us. We have access and we have peace with God. We're not at enmity with him any longer. But we also have unity with one another. We're together in this thing. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Doesn't matter our economic, our racial background. Doesn't matter how, how badly you've sinned or how recently you've sinned. We're together. And we're at peace with one another. And this is what it is to have the Lord in common. We look around. I, I baptized a young lady this last week. And what's amazing is at the time I baptized her, she was 10 days sober. But I look at her and I see the grace of God moving upon her life. And I was able to share with her and pray with her and encourage her, listen, 
I was exactly where you are only about 20 years ago. In the very same way that God has been gracious to me and set me free, he can do that for you. And so I was able to pray with her and encourage her and, uh, you know, and, and, and she's doing awesome. And by God's grace, she's going to be 20 years and 30 years and 50 years sober and be the mom and be the woman of God that the Lord has called her to be. But what's amazing is I look, she's 10 days old in the Lord. Not even that. She actually got saved just this last Sunday. I baptized her on Wednesday. So what? She's three, four days old in Jesus. But I look at her and I see the very same thing that God did for me. In 2004 and I can look around this room like wow minister Adele God has been faithful you've got a different story than me but you've been walking with the Lord longer than me but what we have in common is the grace through the shed blood of Jesus we look around and every one of us has a different story every one of us God has been kind and gracious to us in different ways all very different backgrounds, but what we all have in common is the blood of Jesus. Now, what we're going to do, I was going to have worship, but I, I don't think we need that. We're going to do something a little different here tonight. Um, for those who are joining us on the live stream, I'm going to encourage you right now, if you're watching with your family or your friends, uh, whoever, you know, if you're, if you're with people right now and you're prepared to receive the Lord's Supper, what I want you to do is I actually want you to share some stories about how the blood and the body of Jesus has worked on your behalf. Share some of those stories before you receive the Lord's Supper. Pray with one another. Believe if there's something that you need Healing, provision, forgiveness, whatever it may be. Pray one for another and believe for God to minister that to you. God bless you online, family. I'm going to let you guys go and we're going to minister here for a moment in house. Now this is what I'm going to do. 